Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Megan Preller. Megan is the program coordinator for the Ready for Life Host Home Program based in Redding, California. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for participating in our podcast series. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, you're very welcome. I am very much interested in learning about your organization and your host home program. Before we get into that, though, could you please share a little background about yourself and how is it that you came to be connected with the foster care system? Yeah, sure. So growing up, my family was actually a foster family. And we took in a lot of teens and some parenting teens as well. And we did that for about 10 years. And my parents decided that they weren't necessarily happy with how they received support from their foster family agency. And they thought, well, hey, we can do this better. We can help prepare these young adults to kind of go out into the world and do a better job of it. So they actually started the foster family agency about 20 years ago Yeah, so I've just kind of grown up around it. And then I decided that that's what I wanted to do for work. So I went to school and became a social worker. And and here I am still kind of (laughs) in the family's business. Wow, that's fantastic. And you're located in Redding, California, correct? Correct. Yep. Wonderful. And where is that? Like, what city is that near? Yeah, so we're in what is actually Northern California, if you look at a map. So we're about two hours south of the Oregon border and two hours north of Sacramento. Oh, okay. All right. And you serve young people in your county or beyond the borders of your county? Yeah. So with our foster family agency, we're able to serve children from any county in the state. And we can approve families within two hours of our office. And for our host homes program, we serve Shasta County young adults. Okay. Which is where we live. Yes. Okay. So before we get into that and the details there, so you grew up with foster siblings, Mm -hmm. you were saying, and then your parents started their own, kind of went out on their own and started their own foster agency. And this was ready for life at the time. Was that the name of it since the get-go? Yep. And so what about your background beyond your childhood? When did you realize you wanted to stay in this area of working with young people from foster care? Did you go and get a degree in that area? What is your background in that regard? Yeah, so I've always kind of known that I wanted to work with people. I've done some missions and I've kind of worked with young people and young adults in various capacities. And right out of high school, I went and did my AA and then decided to go get my bachelor's. And I did that in psychology. And then I commuted to a bigger school to do my master's in social work because there wasn't any programs locally. So I did that. And all the while I was working in the agency doing various things like supervising visits or answering phones, different things until I was able to be a social worker with my degree. When did you get your degree? I got my degree in 2016. Okay. My master's. Mm -hmm. And what is your role then with the organization? So my current role, I'm actually the administrator of the foster family agency and a supervising social worker. And then I'm the program coordinator for the host homes program. And how large is the organization? How many employees do you have? How many youth do you serve? We're a pretty small, we're a a nonprofit agency. We have 12 employees. Some of those are social workers and some of them are visit monitors or transporters, things like that. 
And we serve anywhere between 15 to 30 young adults or children at a time. And we approve families as well. So currently we have about 20 families that are approved to take foster placements. Okay. Going back to your parents' decision to start their own agency, what were the pain points? What were the things that they felt were not being done well that they thought they could do better? Yeah, I think the primary thing, honestly, was that they never felt supported by their agency. And they have always kind of taken the stance that the foster parents are the ones down in the trenches with these kids and they're helping provide daily care for them. And if they're not being supported, then they're not able to effectively support the kids in their home. And so that kind of trickled into, well, if we support our families better, then we're going to end up with better results with our kids because they're going to get the support from the families that they need. And ultimately, we'll talk probably about this later, kind of how they came up with a name for Ready for Life was they wanted to help prepare these kids to be ready for life and be able to role model those things to them and support them. Yeah, sure. But what does that look like, better support for the families? What kind of support at your organization do you believe that an agency should provide the foster families? One of the nice things about being a small private agency is that we're able to build really strong relationships with our families. And we really put in a lot of work at the front end of approving families and getting to know them so that we can best match them with our kids. And oftentimes when we get referrals for children and youth, we don't know a ton about them because they're coming from another placement or they're just being detained. And if we're able to really do the work to get to know the family and know what their needs are, we can make good matches. And we've seen that that has really allowed us to prevent so many crises. Children aren't just being placed in beds because there's a bed available. They're being placed in a bed on very intentionally. So we're supporting the family by making sure that their needs are being met, that the kids in their homes needs are being met. We have 24-7 on-call social workers who are available and are going to answer their phone when they call if there's an emergency. Oftentimes when we do have families who take in older children or teens, there's the likelihood that there's going to be more emergencies or more crises that they need help with. And we're not going to let them do that on their own. We're going to walk alongside them and help them with those things and support them through those situations. Yeah. Okay. Do you take any age youth? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We take zero to 18 and we have some young adults in extended foster care as well. All right. And how many, I would say it might be hard to say <laughs> at any given time or say within a year's time, how many young people are looking at aging out in your program without much in the way of family support, where they do need that extra help from, say, your staff? That's actually our biggest obstacle right there is finding families who can take the teenagers who are close to aging out. Because as I'm sure that you've heard on many of your podcasts, teens are hard to place and they are the main calls that we're getting. So we have at any time only a handful of teenagers because oftentimes they stay and they stay for a long time. So they're staying in those homes. For example, we have a a young girl who's 18, who's been in her foster home for a couple of years now that she's decided that she doesn't want to go and do transitional housing because she's happy in her foster home and she's got a stable job and they want her there. And 
it's a wonderful thing that she's able to stay there. And also there's that bed is not available for another person because she's there and which is great. So it's kind of a catch 22. But I know that the amount of referrals that we receive for that age group, it's exponential, unfortunately. And so I know there are a lot of youth, not only in our area, but we get calls from counties that are hours and hours away looking for placement for 16, 17 year olds that they just can't find placement locally, unfortunately. There aren't enough programs supporting that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, is that because you're in Northern California and you know you might not be near like a Los Angeles area? Or do you think, or does it seem to you like that's a problem throughout California that there's just aren't enough programs to support these young people aging out? I think that it's probably more widespread than I realize. Even the calls that we get, the hours and hours away that the kids are coming from. And I know too, that we're having to send a lot of our kids out of County because we don't have anywhere for them either. I don't have any statistics to show what it's like further down in California, but if I had to guess, I mean, I know that they have a high number of foster youth in Los Angeles County. Well, just because it's really fits in the flow of the discussion, this might've been normally a question for the end of our hour together, but what do you think if there are people out there who are interested in starting a nonprofit to support young people in foster care, particularly teens, mm-hmm. what kind of programming do you think is the most needed for the older youth? Is it transitional housing? Is it mentoring? Is Honestly, it all of the above? What, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is all of the above. One of the things that we've kind of seen as a primary trend, especially starting the host homes program is that these young adults don't have community. They don't have people to fall back on when they get a flat tire or when they need help registering for college. And those things that some of us may take for granted or not even realize that we have those people around us because it's just easy to call and ask somebody a question. That has been a huge thing that's across the board for all of the young adults that that we've encountered is They just don't have that community around them to fall back on. So I think building that is a huge thing that would be able to maybe not fully wipe out the problem that we're experiencing, but I think it would be a huge benefit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there's one area that is really intriguing to me, like Coast Homes, I want to get to know more about is this idea of an intergenerational community. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are a handful that have cropped up around the country where you have senior citizens, you know how there are older adult communities, right? The idea is to place young people who have aged out of foster care in amongst that community. So you have kind of built-in community and built-in mentors, people who probably really would be anxious and interested in supporting a young person nearby. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an intriguing model. But I think we're talking about today primarily is the host homes. And I really would like to learn more about your host home program now, understand what is it, what's the structure, how does it work, who do you serve, all of that. So I'll be quiet now (laughs) and let you explain, if you would, your host home program. Definitely. Yeah. So we were first approached about kind of starting this program by a more national program that starts these type of organizations. So Point Source Youth is an organization that is located all over. So they help other agencies start host homes programs. And they also do rapid rehousing and some like transitional housing as well, different from host homes. And so they 
saw a need here in Northern California because really there are not a lot of programs anywhere north of Sacramento. And there's only one in Sacramento, which is a pretty large town. So some local homeless youth activists up here with one of our groups had reached out to them, hey, come pitch us this idea so we can hear about this program and see if that would be something that would work here. Really what the program is designed to do is to identify individuals, families in the community who have available space in their home, or even a space on their land for a trailer or something like that, where a young adult who's experiencing homelessness or is unstably housed would be able to stay there temporarily, pretty much an average about five to six months, and just not worry about paying bills and be able to save money, work with our case manager, and reach whatever their personal goals are. So that could look like, I don't have Medi-Cal and I need to figure out how to get insurance. Can you help me with that? I'm interested in going to college. How do I register for classes? I don't have my driver's license, et cetera, et cetera. Every young adult has a different goal or has a different need. So we're able to personalize kind of not a treatment plan, but, you know, goals for them where they're working with us while they're stably housed and not having to worry about those things. And then by the end of that, they've been able to save up enough money to transition to permanent housing with our assistance. And then we're able to provide case management after they've transitioned as well to kind of just make sure that the situation remains stable and that they don't still need any assistance. And obviously they have access to us after that six months as well, but we're able to kind of provide services to them in their new home as well. Yeah, so we receive referrals from various sources. So we can get community referrals for a young adult who's in need of housing. We can receive referrals directly from the young adult so they could inquire on our website, they could text, they could call. And then we kind of get to know them from there. And I don't know how far into the process you want me to describe, but (laughs) that's the general overview. Okay. And what do you call the host home adults? How do you refer to them? So we call them the hosts and then the young adults we typically refer to as guests. Okay. How are the hosts trained or prepared to work with these? And these are people, young people who are over the age of 18, correct? Yes, yes. The guests are between 18 and 24. Um, And in order to be a host, they have to be over the age of 25. That way they're older than anyone living in their home. So it's If you know anything about foster care, it's very different because it's not a regulated program. So we don't have licensing to answer to. We don't have specific compliance regulations that we have to follow, which is very helpful because there's so many unique situations when it comes to housing young adults that would be very challenging if we had to stay inside of a box. So that's very, it's been very different and very helpful to not have those red tape regulations to follow. So for the host, they apply and we do a live scan, you know, fingerprinting. We do a very minimal home inspection, pretty much making sure that they actually do have a safe place for this young adult to stay. And they're not just saying that they have a safe place. We have training that's kind of like a group training orientation. And then they also have access to the case manager and myself during the time that that young adult is there, if they have, you know, questions or concerns. Prior to the a guest moving into a home, we sit down with the host and the guest and we go over a host guest contract, which is pretty much like a shared living agreement. Try and address any potential concerns before they have a 
chance to become a concern or a problem. And so we do that with them and facilitate a transition rather than just here's this person, they're moving in and kind of make sure that it's a good match, just as we would with our foster youth, because we don't want to set people up for failure if we can avoid it. And how many host homes do you have right now? Our program is new and it is hard to find hosts. So right now we have four hosts, which we are very proud of because it took a long time to find those hosts. It's one of the biggest, biggest things we're working on. I think it's a fantastic model. I think I can certainly understand maybe the perspective of the potential hosts and concerns they might have. Yeah. But I also see, you know, the bigger picture is the greater value that this provides. But it sounds like the hosts really are more just providing the space for the young person. But I could see maybe a different perspective from different hosts. Like some might say, yeah, you know, eat dinner with us and just kind of fold them into the pattern of their family versus others who might be a little more standoffish. And I don't mean like rude, but yeah, the hosts do their own thing. The young person wants to do their own thing. When you're coming up with this contract, they identify kind of what their expectations and their desires for the living arrangement and that kind of thing is discussed. Yeah, you kind of nailed it right on the head. Honestly, we have a lot of varying perspectives when it comes to hosts. So we have one, for example, right now who a single woman who was very much like, I would love to mentor a young adult. I would love for them to come and do movie night and enjoy dinner with me and all those things. And then we have others who, like you said, it's more kind of like roommate situation. Like you do your thing, I'll do mine, but we're cohabitating. (laughs) So But the nice thing about the matching process is if I have a young adult who's like, you know, I really wish that I had a parent figure or someone who I could have dinner with or play games with, then I can make sure that I'm matching them appropriately with a host who wants those same things. And yes, the contract is designed not only to address concerns, but exactly like you said, to say like, this is what my hopes and expectations are and how do they align with yours? Okay. And is there any reimbursement provided for the hosts because you have a young person who might be eating your food and Mm -hmm. (laughs) more water usage and all of that? So I'm just curious, are the hosts like taking on that expense or is there some kind of arrangement with the organization for that? Yeah, so we do provide a stipend. It's a voluntary stipend, which some have chosen not to take. Some have chosen to take it. It's for $400 a month and that's up to five months. It just kind of helps offset the cost of having an additional person in their home and the food costs. That's another thing that's part of the contract is some of the hosts very much want them to, what's mine is yours, food in the pantry, you're welcome to it. And others, it's, this is your shelf on the pantry and feel free to (laughs) fill it. And, but you know, so it kind of depends on the host. Yeah, we've definitely seen both sides of that spectrum. Well, it sounds like you really make an effort to to customize the arrangement to suit both the young person and the host. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. What do you think is the biggest issue or concern that keeps people from jumping on board and becoming hosts? Because it's a temporary thing. You would think more people would be interested. You would think so. I think that there's a few things. I think, unfortunately, the word homeless is a term that scares people. And honestly, the young adults that we're encountering are oftentimes couch surfing or maybe living out of their car. They're not 
the stereotypical homeless person that I think a lot of people automatically assume. And so I think that's one of the main kind of forefront concerns. And I know I've talked to some people who have been interested, but maybe haven't committed to it yet, or maybe they have, but their initial concerns are, okay, so what happens if it's time for them to move out and they won't? Because there's a lot of things in California when it comes to having people move out of homes or rentals and things like that, that I think scare people where there's not a whole lot that we can do as far as getting someone out of a home that they've been living in. So I think that scares some people. We haven't had any issues with it yet, but obviously we can't predict that that won't ever be an issue. I think, unfortunately, that's a big thing. And like I said, the just the idea of having someone who is homeless that you do not know living in your home is just scary. Yeah. It's funny when we're young, we're like, yeah, I'm looking for a roommate. You meet somebody, you have an interview with them and you're like, great, move on in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like when you're young, it's no problem. Yeah. Like <laughs> we're in the I, same boat. <laughs> when you're older and I guess when you own your own home and you maybe had a little more experience, it's just, I don't know, I guess it's tougher for people to be open to someone you're not as familiar with. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just become more protective. I don't know. Yeah. But I think it's a fantastic program. I can absolutely see this as being an ideal situation for young people in foster care who have aged out of foster care. They graduate from high school. They've been accepted to a college, but they don't have any place to be mm-hmm. <laughs> over the summer prior to college starting. To me, that seems like it would be just the ideal situation because you could tell potential hosts, this is a young person who's been accepted to college. They have goals. Maybe that wouldn't make people as nervous. Yeah. And this program, it's not specific to foster youth, but it's really interesting that when you look at the numbers, over half of them are confirmed former foster youth. Others are, we just were unknown because we never had enough contact with them to get that information. But I would be shocked if we had less than 90% of the people who have inquired about being guests not having come from the foster care system. Yeah, at Um, some point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. A lot of them, unfortunately, too, have been failed adoptive placements or we were in care in another state. And then now I don't have a relationship with my adoptive family. And a lot of that has come up. Mm. So you really, the youth that are referred to you are homeless. That's the criteria primarily. Is that my understanding that correctly? In order to be in the program, yes, they technically have to be homeless. But the definition of homeless is couch surfing or unstably housed. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Do you get referrals from organizations that say this young person isn't homeless yet, but you know, in a week they will be? (laughs) We do. And we get some that are, they're 17, but they'll be 18 in a few months. Yeah. So we've gotten calls from high schools of like, Hey, I'm a school counselor who has a senior that I know is not living at home and they're kind of just staying at friends' houses, but they're not 18 yet. And what does that look like? So our ultimate goal is to eventually be able to do this for younger, 16, 17-year-olds, but that's where the red tape comes back in for sure. sure yeah, as you right. can imagine. Yeah. By the time they're 18, 19, 20, they've already potentially been in the homeless situation for a little while. Yes. Well, the host home model is unique to me. I mean, it's new to me. I really like the idea as opposed to transitional living where you have like you kind of staff who are mentors, Mm -hmm. 
you have maybe you own the property that the young people are living in. Maybe you work with landlord, local landlords, and you have arrangements with them to provide housing for the young person who's aging out. So transitional living situations are different. Have you considered kind of your basic transitional living type of model? And why did you go with the host home if not transitional living? Yeah. So there are a couple of other programs here that do transitional housing for foster youth. And we have considered it and Honestly, the reason that we ended up starting the Host Homes program is it's just a huge gap in our community that there's so many resources for foster youth who are in care and there's so many for veterans or they're just different groups that have a lot of resources. And then there's this huge hole right there in the middle of kids that either were in care at some point or should have been and don't have any community, aren't necessarily in this other box where they can receive these services and they're just like floating here in the middle. And so that was kind of where the drive of like, this doesn't exist. We should come up with something that could help these young adults in a way that's not just kind of got to put a bandaid on it, but hopefully prepare them to be able to successfully live on their own after this program. Right. Let me step back. I thought of a question. Yeah. I should have asked what we were talking about the hosts. <laughs> but how do you recruit your hosts? I'm just wondering. It seems to me that churches might be a good place to mm-hmm. recruit, but also, like I was saying earlier, maybe retirement communities. You've got people who, you know, they're retired, obviously empty nesters. Mm-hmm might be interested in having somebody in the home. I'm just curious what groups you've talked to, which ones do you think are the best sources maybe to get referrals for hosts? Yeah. So like I said earlier, it's been hard to get people to be interested. We have approached churches and that's one thing that we've kind of always looked for with foster families and with hosts. Actually, a couple of our hosts are either current foster families or have been foster families as well. Just kind of a a very similar vein that they just, they want to continue to do it or they want to do it at the same time because you can be a foster family and a host at the same time. That's been one thing that we've explored is people who are already doing it or who have done it and we know them and have, you know, maybe they were a former family with us and now we know that maybe their kids are in a different stage of life and it might be a a different thing that would work better for them. Yeah, you've been um, around a while. You should have yeah. some folks to tap. Yes, we have. We have. And honestly, that's been our best recruitment has been word of mouth, which is not a surprise. That's how it is for foster families as well as if you hear somebody, you know, say that it's not not too bad. You feel a little better about kind of jumping in. So personally reaching out to people and saying like, here's the story, especially when we have actual because we have a we always have a waiting list of the guests it's a matter of finding hosts and so if I can say hey so and so I know that you have a heart for young moms and I have the situation and I know you have a room what do you think about being a host and so we can kind of do those things and reach out to I'm a part of a lot of different groups and I am in the, the local COC with the continuum of care which is how we end up getting our funding for the program And so just talking about it in other groups of like-minded people um, and hoping that they will spread the word. COVID has put a bit of a a damper on us being able to go places and actually talk to people like we would normally want to. 
I've done lots and lots of Zoom presentations, but it just doesn't (laughs) feel the same as you can imagine talking through a computer and it's just not the same. I would think if you could recruit one of your guests to speak yeah. to people, that I've always heard that's the most impactful thing to do is to have some young person who is the beneficiary of the service mm-hmm. actually share. We have some promotional videos, one of a host speaking and one of guests speaking. And that was kind of at the beginning of the program. And I'd, I'd love to be able to continue doing those types of videos or a way of getting them out there, like you said, to speak about like, look at all the wonderful things that happened because of this program. And because someone was willing to open their home. I mean, I have one young adult right now who moved into a host home in May, and has saved up $20,000 and is trying to buy a home. Because she didn't have to pay bills. She just was able to put her whole paycheck in a savings account. And she has now built a lifelong friend she has community around her and she has a savings account that she would have never been able to accomplish. And so there's so many wonderful things that come of it. It's just finding people who want yeah. to do it. <laughs> and do you see a need to help young people with life skills though? Because yes. that's one of the gaps too, I think with a lot of older foster youth, it's just not having the basics. Yes. And do you provide any kind of life skills training for these young people? With our case manager, she does a lot of like one-on-one things with them specific to what they need. But we also have some programs locally that provide life skills, like our independent living program here, which does have a transitional housing program. They also do a lot of life skills programs and workshops. And so we've connected them to some of those as well. And our hosts have also done a really great job. The one that I was just talking about who has been able to save a lot of money She came to me right after becoming a host with some little budget workbooks. And she's like, hey, do you think it would be okay if I gave these to them and kind of helped them work through what it looks like to make a budget? And so they're doing a lot of those on their own and also just modeling what it looks like to appropriately live with another person and, you know, share a living space and all of those different things that they haven't experienced before. Right. You know, I'm wondering, I was just looking on the Airbnb site because Aging Out Institute had an idea a while ago, and we're still interested in it. We're just not quite sure what to do about it. But Airbnb actually, airbnb.org has temporary housing for disaster relief and refugees. Okay. And it seems to me like there may well be an avenue for some kind of Airbnb type of website yeah, for young people who need temporary housing like this. It's basically a host home program, but kind of on a grander scale that you can actually go online and find a match for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how do you put that together and make sure that people are ready and prepared to have these young people in their homes. Do you think something like that from your experience with, I know you're new, but from your experience with the host home so far, Do you think something like that could have legs? What's your impression or your feedback on that? I think that if it was well managed and closely monitored, I think that there could be something to that because it, I think that it's pretty vulnerable for our kids to even say, I need help and have to come to someone or be referred to a program. And so if there was an opportunity for them to do a lot of that by themselves or have the access to it where they could seek out 
assistance if they wanted to, or they could kind of, like you said, scroll on Airbnb and see like, oh, this is a family that I could see myself living with. And, and then maybe after that initial process, it kind of connected them with a case manager and kind yeah. of allowed them to like, hey, this is a potential match. Now let the social workers kind of look through what that might look like and make a good match on their end too. Yeah, kind of like when eHarmony yeah. finds a match for you, right? Yeah. There's got to be a flag that goes up on somebody's <laughs> desk. There you go. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. <laughs> it's just a thought. I, you know, it's one of these things that I would love if somebody out there who has that expertise, because you have to have the website development expertise to be able to create that as well as Mm -hmm. have the organization support behind you. So I would love to see somebody out there create this kind of website and then maybe learn from programs like yours about what works, what doesn't work. I just think there's a lot of potential in creating this that can cross geographical boundaries. Yeah. I think that would be fabulous. Like what if a young person wants to move? Right. Right and they don't have a way to get anywhere, this could be a way, right? They register online with a host home, a case manager, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's flagged and then that case manager might be able to find a way to get that person to that town, right? Right. And then we'll work with you from there. And maybe you have case managers all around the country. I don't know. I'm thinking big. Yeah. (laughs) That's how you have to do things. (laughs) Think big. So, What do you think? I want to move on from your organization, which I love. I love the host home model. But what do you think the foster care system can do better? I mean, like you said, a lot of these homeless youth are coming out of foster care. Yeah. Some aren't, of course. But from your experiences and your work with these young people, what do you think could be done better insofar as the foster care system, be it county, state, federal, what do you think we could do to better improve these young people's outcomes, you know, so they aren't homeless to begin with? I feel like the first thing that, that comes to my mind when you ask that question is, I think that there is a lack of follow up with these kids. I feel like it's one of those situations where, okay, you turned 18, your stuff's on the porch, it's time to go. When very rarely are these kids in a place where that is ever going to be successful. I think that if there was a way to kind of like how they do with families that reunify, like the family maintenance piece, which is only six months. And I think that could also be a lot longer. But I think that if there was a way to maintain eyes and like contact with these young adults and provide them with case management, if they so choose, because I know a lot of the times our young adults are like, we don't ever want to see a social worker ever again. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but I can understand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They've been around that for so long, they're just ready to be independent. But they also, I think, oftentimes don't realize what they're about to be facing. Because again, they haven't maybe been modeled those things. And so if there was a way to have touch points after they turn 18, where we're still checking in on them and we're still helping with case management or even just the life skills piece of it, I think is a huge thing. And with the transitional housing program, they do get a lot of that. But I think even then, sometimes when you're 21, you're still not necessarily ready to be living out on your own. Yeah, It's very individual. Yeah. Some 18 year olds are like, yeah, I'm good. I've saved up money. I'm ready to go. Others, you know, they struggle to find themselves. It takes a little longer. Yes. So you're thinking more of the system itself, the social workers might be that person who's following up, or maybe you have a follow-up specialist who work yeah. with the foster care agencies. 
yeah, some type of way to, because oftentimes they just disappear. You don't know where they are or how they're doing. And oftentimes they don't know how to get their own information. Like I've gotten calls from kids that I had 10 years ago that found us on Google and they're like, Hey, I am trying to find my birth certificate. I can't remember who my worker was, but I remembered you guys. And so, you know, like there's just all those little pieces to their puzzle that again, it goes back to, they don't have that community. They don't have that one person who's like, Oh, I've got all your stuff in a safe box at my house and you can come anytime and, you know, get your documents. They don't have that. And while I'm happy that they call us, like they shouldn't have to find their foster family agency from when they were 12 to try and get that sort of information. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but just more follow through and not like we're washing our hands of you. You're not in care anymore. Let's still help you to be successful somehow. Well, sure. It seems too that some kind of structured, I'll call it a checklist, Mm -hmm. right? These are the things that need to be done starting at age 16. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize some young people come into foster care older than that, so you'd have to adjust accordingly. But if you have a young person who's in foster care at age 16, you know, start making sure they know how to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it's a, some kind of structured checklist. One of those things as they're approaching 18 would be acquire all personal legal documentation mm-hmm. so they don't go out without it. Yeah. Right. Go out on their own without it. It seems like a simple thing where you'd have some kind of checklist and they do have there would be an of expectation those. of that, but if there's no accountability though. Right. That's exactly where it is. And it's making sure that the things actually follow through and that you're not just, okay, I've done this checklist with you. And now, now I'm checking my box saying, okay, I did their independent living skills checklist. Let's move on. But like, okay, where were the gaps and how do we make sure those are addressed before you leave? Right. Right. That's the challenging thing. I think the biggest challenge is the accountability because I think basically what foster care agencies are held accountable to are, is there a roof over the young person's head? Are they being fed? And are they relatively safe from bodily or emotional harm? So these are the very basics and they're all, you know, survival types of things. Get it. Got to have that Maslow's hierarchy. Very important. But I also believe that the other things like this kind of checklist and other steps to take to make sure that the young people are ready to live on their own should also be part of the accountability. But it's not. It's very haphazard and it's it's based on the state. It's based on the funding and mm-hmm. the state and the county and the and the willingness of the managers to follow through. And it's honestly, there's so many, there's already such a lack of families that can take in foster children. And we have such a high number of foster children that it's like, oh, okay, so we're, you're 18 now. So you move out so we can put someone else there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, that's not how it should be. And I've had conversations before where more money really should be put into, you know, supporting families so they don't end up with the young people in foster care to begin with. And I mean, ideally, I think that would be the way to go. Be that as it may, we have a system that we have and young people are going to go into foster care. So, you know, I don't like to harp on what's wrong, but solutions, but some way, some way to incorporate accountability for helping the young people get ready to live on their own. I would love to see that. Yes, (laughs) me too. (laughs) In the meantime, nonprofits like yours and other organizations, and there are more and more of them, which is very encouraging, Mm -hmm. 
they're trying to fill that gap. Yeah. I love these conversations. I always hate to draw them to a close, but I do see that we're getting close to our hour. I do want to ask you if people wanted to send you a donation for the work that you're doing, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking maybe specifically the host homes, but really any of the work you're doing, where can they go to do that? So on our website, we do have a donation page where people could just make a monetary donation. We also have like our Amazon wish list because I know sometimes people like to give items for things like we provide to the young adults when they move in. We give them like a welcome home kit, we call it. So there's different items there, but on our donation page, someone could give a one-time donation or they could sign up to do like a monthly donation or something like that as well. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. One question I do like to ask, I don't get to it in all of my podcasts, but I'm going to get to it in this one. And I would like you to complete the sentence. The thing I love most about my organization is. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) I think it is that I really do think that we truly make a difference. And I think that we do it with integrity. And so that's something I'm very proud of. And when you say you do it with integrity, what exactly are you referring to? Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I think that unfortunately, sometimes this becomes too much of a business. And when really it should be about caring for people. And so I think that That has always been and will remain our focus. It's not about making money and, you know, we're a nonprofit. We're not going to ever be rich and that's not what we're here for. We really just want to do what's best for the people that we are entrusted to care for. And I think that we do a good job of that. And I think that it makes the hard days easier and just makes it something I enjoy doing for sure. Oh, that's great. And do your parents, are they still involved in the organization? Yes, they are. Oh, wonderful. So you get to work with your parents too. I do. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it, Megan, that you've come on our podcast series. And I look forward to following you. And I've got my fingers crossed that your host home program will grow. You know, this podcast in its own small way might get the word out about that. But if nothing else, it's giving the idea of the host home model to other people who might find it interesting and maybe want to start it in their own area. And that's what one of the things we're really hoping for are these best practices. Let's spread them around the country. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Very happy to do so. Well, for those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org and look for the podcast link. Or you can go to pretty much any podcast distribution site and you will find us there as well. Again, thank you, Megan, and I wish you all the best. Thank you.